This is a HeadGum Podcast. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I think my voice is kind of nasal, which is not a good adjective for it. I think one of the qualities I've gotten from listening to a lot of your stuff is you never have sounded sweaty. Oh, interesting. Which I, I, I'm not a good sweater. I don't sweat very it's not regularly. You at. Yeah, I'm not a sweating guy. This is Inside Voices. I'm your host, Kevin T. Porter. Today, Amir Blumenfeld has a nasal, not sweaty voice. Okay, a little context. Amir is a comedian, probably best known for his collaboration with his partner, Jake Hurwitz. They met back in 2006 working together at the comedy website College Humor, and in 2007, they started their web series, Jake and Amir. If you've never seen Jake and Amir, it's emblematic of a whole different generation of online sketch comedy. It's cheap, it's lo-fi, and it's really charming. There's a screwball machine gun pasted the jokes I think is the early aughts equivalent of a Howard Hawks movie. Here's a clip from an episode called Album from 2012. Hey, dude, will you check out my album? No. You didn't even let me finish. Yes, I did. I just said no really quickly. Will you just give my album a listen and let me know what you think? How is that different than checking it out, which I just said no to? I, yeah, I just that I spent like a bad amount of money recording this album, and I really want to know what your opinion is because I respect it. Not. Okay, so I'm not going to check out the album. No, 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 What's? Oh, oh my God, I was kidding, okay? It's like a not joke. You're crying about it. How is that? What? You're crying. Oh, please just let me know what you think, okay? Just give it a listen and tweet about it. Then maybe like Facebook about it, blog about it, Tumble about it. Okay, one, you're still crying. Two, it sounds like you want me to promote the album. That's the least you can do, okay? After I spent like a bad amount of money recording it. So for me, going into this podcast, this podcast you're listening to, and preparing to talk to the people I talk to, there was a central assumption I had about someone who decides to make a show, which is that they do it for primarily emotional reasons, that they had something to say and needed to say it to as many people as possible, or they wanted to give themselves a platform to talk about something they love so much and are so passionate about, or maybe they just wanted to connect other people to the audience, to their guests, to their friends. That was the initial premise. And then, of course, Amir immediately blew that premise up. This was like in 2013, Jake and Amir was on for like seven years at this point. So we were looking to start something that College Humor didn't own. And our agent of all people was like, you know, you should start a podcast because a lot of my stand-up comedians are just starting podcasts so that I don't have to come up with a new hour every time. They just tour with their podcast because we're not improvisers, but it's a way of improvising a show every night. So we're like, this is great. We can probably convince several thousand people to listen to our podcast because we already have a huge following from the web show. So we started that in May of 2013 
and it was popular enough to like sustain us to the point where we didn't have to do Jake and Amir anymore. That was the goal, to kind of build a lifeboat that you could jump off of? Exactly. I'm fascinated by the fact that it actually was a financial proposition brought up by your agent. Oh, totally. And that sort of dictates everything I do in my life. <laughs> everything <laughs> That's is a the financial... feeling I'm getting right yes, now. Yes, I am a wallet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's dollar sign forward thinking yes. is what it feels like. Yeah, ingrained from my parents, which is like, okay, you do comedy, but how are you going to make a living? Who's going to pay your health insurance? How much money do you have? Do you have money to invest? This is what you should invest in. Yeah, which is understandable. But the idea of podcasts as financial investments and propositions and businesses was so different even then in 2013, mm-hmm. pre-serial. Yeah, and the pre-Conan, <laughs> pre-Dak Shep, you know, when it, it becomes kind of an industrial complex of how you can make money on this stuff. And it's that like famous thing where it's like the best thing to do something was 10 years ago, the second best time is now. We felt like we were late in 2013, but if you just do it and wait six years, turns out you're early. <laughs> now you feel really late, but if you start a podcast and you wait 10 years, oh, you're pretty early. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't go for this podcast, though, which is no, this is right late. on time. Officially late. At the end of 2019. <laughs> This is the newest podcast, if you're listening to it early. So in 2013, Jake and Amir start their podcast, If I Were You. The pitch was simple enough. Listeners write in with their real-life situations, asking for advice from two unqualified comedians. Hilarity ensues. Well, and I feel like we might have a commonality in that the amateurs giving advice to listeners as a format in 2013 is different than what it is in 2019 because it's just been so calcified. For example, like a weekly recap Mm. of a television show thing Mm -hmm. where it's like they existed for sure. No one's reinventing the wheel, but there was some like bit of novelty that still made it feel worth doing. Yeah, now it feels like, why are you doing that? Everyone's doing (laughs) (laughs) But like you've been grandfathered in. You've earned the... Oh yeah, no, this is me yelling at a younger generation. (laughs) Get off my fucking lawn. (laughs) Why'd you want to give advice? We wanted to have a show that leaned into our expertise, but like we don't really have an expertise. Like I'm a sports fan and Jake watches a lot of porn, so we can either do sports and porn or we can lean into the fact that we are older millennials who have been texting and chatting and tindering and all that stuff for longer than the teenagers at the time. So we're like, okay, why don't we just give advice? That way, at the very least, we can't be wrong because it's our opinion. It's called if I were you. You can't tell me that I'm wrong, what I would do in your position because it's me. So I am an expert at being myself and Jake's likewise. And that was the origin of that. So it's not like you were growing up with like advice columnists and it's like, I got to be a dear Abby when I grow up. Yeah, no. Yeah, and still not to this point where we're like, I'm not doing research or trying to figure out like the best answers. I'm just trying to find the the stupidest questions that we get and trying to make the most funny answers come of them. Can I play for you a clip of your first episode? Ooh, please do. Of If I Were You. If I Were You, If I Were You. Thank you to Squarespace for sponsoring this. (laughs) (laughs) That is a dynamically inserted ad that cuts off. That cuts the theme song off. Is that ad new? Can you play that ad? This episode of our show. Thank you, Squarespace. Yeah, that's a new ad. Yeah. So this is what it is. The first hundred or so episodes of If I Were You didn't have the headgum stinger. So instead of going back and finding the exact point in which to put the ads, we're like, let's just put every ad 5.2 seconds into the episode because that's right after the headgum stinger. 
This is a headgum podcast. Unfortunately, and you found a bug, so thank you. There are some episodes without the, the stinger. The stinger. So at five point two seconds into the episode, it just cuts off the If I Were You show and plays a new Squarespace ad. Well, and to me, this is so funny because that's literally the first five seconds of the first episode. If someone found out about you guys tomorrow, it's already tainted. <laughs> <laughs> it's like let's let's fucking listen to an episode before we did all these ads. Before, before they we sold were sold out, man. Yeah. If I were you, hey, this episode I'm talking about Squarespace. You check out this coupon code. Well, it is mind blowing too to hear you guys reference Succession in the Squarespace ad, <laughs> a show that would not exist for another five years. Oh my god! I want if you don't know about dynamic insertion, you just assume we were time travelers making a web show in 2013. <laughs> uh, but to me, this kind of represented an interesting example of like. <laughs> Just the grassroots, the same level playing field that everyone starts from, starting out super rough, and then... Squarespace ad from 2019. That's right. (laughs) That pays for everything else. Well, and the fact that when you started, you weren't with a network, you were just doing everything yourself, and it wasn't even the hope of like, all right, we got to sell X amount of pre-rolls and mid-rolls, and then we can get on Earwolf, or something like that. It was truly just like, we want to do this to support our selves and have fun and, right. and to like tour with it and maybe as as a little bit of like platform for that yes but otherwise now you run a network that's of, right of other podcasts in 2015 Jake and Amir founded their podcast network HeadGum which is the network bringing you this very show the shows upon launch included If I Were You High and Mighty with John Gabris and Gilmore Guys a podcast I've heard of for Amir, starting the network would be the first time he was in a position of not just content creation, but authority. At College Humor, we were the younger employees getting mad at the management. And now, 15 years later, we're the management managing the employees. So hopefully we've learned what we liked and what we didn't like as employees, so that when we became employers, you always want to like do a little bit better than how you were treated. I guess we wanted to be collaborative. We didn't want to make decisions from on high and like force people to carry out those decisions. Mm-hmm. Like at HeadGum, we try to make sure everybody's involved in most decisions. Obviously, that's not 100% attainable for every single possible decision, but we want to listen to everybody as much as possible. Because you guys probably weren't listened to at some points in your past. Sure. I have another clip queued up from your first episode of okay. the show. That's true. You think we should edit this podcast or just leave everything <laughs> in? Um, you know, let's just... I like the idea of just leaving everything in. Natural. Yeah. Like when we were nervous at the beginning, just leave it in because it might be like charming. Yeah, exactly. Now I'm not nervous at all. Yeah, me neither. Because now I know it sucks. (laughs) (laughs) That could have been from last week. That's one thing that I found in listening to your first episode. It doesn't sound like two 19-year-olds dicking around. This was just six years ago, so I was 30, Jake was 28. But the voices and the, the rhythm that we had had already existed for like eight years, so it wasn't that much different. That was the takeaway for me, is that the format of the show and basically what you guys were doing wasn't fundamentally different from what the show is in 2019. That's right, which is either a good thing that we stuck to our roots or a bad thing that we haven't evolved or turned into a better product than what we farted out on day one. Well, I would say, I mean, I think there's a way in which that is a good thing, though, and especially when... It doesn't feel like that sort of thing is valued in the culture as much of like doing one thing well, 
consistently over a long period of time. It always feels like, okay, what's next? Okay, what's next? How do we step it up? How would we step it up? How do we step it up? And we're trying to do a little bit more of that now with like different segment ideas because it's hard to avoid getting stale for 400 episodes. We don't expect people to have listened to all 400 episodes and still like be eager to keep listening. Some people like join in and leave and come back and some people are joining now and some people had already left. So we want to reward the people that have been listening for so long, but also like keep it fresh for new listeners as well. When you go back and listen to that stuff, which I don't assume you do on a regular basis, yeah. but even like now listening to that clip, <laughs> yeah. what do you feel like you hear? I guess I feel somebody who's less certain about what's going on. Like we're a little bit nervous, a little bit tentative, a little bit scared to let any moment pass silently. We want to fill every possible moment. Even in the clip we played, we're like literally second guessing ourselves on microphone. Like, should I edit this? How am I going to do that? Is there is there an echo? How do I deal with that? Is the equipment okay? We we didn't even know if what we were recording was being recorded yet. Our equipment was so like rudimentary. I guess it's like liberating to have like these couple of different silos that you can pour yourself into. That's right. But is this when like you start kind of fading down your output of videos yes, exactly. while doing the show. Yeah, it's like a cross dissolve. So like the more podcasts we did, the less videos we did. And eventually we stopped the videos altogether. And now we're primarily podcasting. When you look back on now, what was more fulfilling to do? At the time, like when we were doing the videos, the videos were really fun. But then, you know, fatigue set in at episode 630 or whatever. And then the podcast became more fun. And now it's the podcast is in like episode 400. Now we're like thinking, okay, what's the next project going to be? What's the fatigue with the podcast? Where do you think that might have set in? Because you've done 400 something episodes. Yeah, that's a lot. Because it's like, and I know the show's still good and you both enjoy doing it. But that's right. It just has to be a different kind of shape than what it was in 2013. Yeah, the trick is, like we're doing now, to like add new segments to take us out of autopilot. So like now we're giving unsolicited advice, people that aren't necessarily asking us for specific things. We're giving advice on that, or we are talking about the news, or we're talking about our lives more. It's more of a conversation than like people trying to listen to how we'll answer the questions. So the heart of the show is still your relationship with Jake. I think so. And then how has that evolved over the last six years? Um, well, we went from working together to living together and working together. And now Jake lives across the country. So like we use the podcast as a means of like literally catching up. Like he'll go on a vacation and I don't hear from him about how it went until we're on the show and then we're talking about it. It's like the old adage about don't move in with your best friend. Right. Which or is just, what we did. Which is literally what you did <laughs> in every conceivable part of your lives imaginable. Yeah, we live together. We work together. We podcasted together. So what suffered during that time? When it was like the most intense? When you live together, you have to co-host with Jake, but also when I left a dish in a sink, maybe it bothered him and that like seeped in. So like there are personal things that might have affected professional things, but we didn't really get on each other's nerves so much. It wasn't, it never reached like animosity or anything like that. So nothing like ever made it to air where the listeners were like, oh, this doesn't sound good. <laughs> I think there was one time where I was teasing Jake because I was more messy than he was. And he said that his line is that it stresses him out to like see dishes around. And I was like teasing him like how, like, why does that stress you out? Like that shouldn't stress you out. That's not really stressful. A dish is stressing you. And then I remember him like either after the show or on the air being like, this is weird. I feel like you're attacking me or Whoa. something like that. And it got real. And I can't remember if it was during the show or right after, but I like felt bad. I'm like, oh, I'm just like sort of teasing you and it's kind of in character, but it was rooted in such a real thing that it affected the actual product. But it's never been something that the audience would ever notice. No, no, no. Pay attention I don't to. think so. Because that happens sometimes. 
Yeah, that'd and be like, cool. And the kind of camaraderie or the repartee of two co-hosts can like, oh yeah, this is like concerning and I don't feel good as a listener anymore. Yeah, I feel like I'm listening to like two people hash it out or something like that. So you started the podcast so you could tour behind it. Tour for sure, but then also like have some property that we own. Like we were working on this thing that was College Humor's property. So if we left College Humor, we'd have nothing. Once the podcast was up and running, Jake and Amir were able to tour behind it and perform live shows. We talked a little bit about the differences between performing scripted versus unscripted. I'll give you a hint. One of them is easier. It was awesome. It wasn't really a tour. I think we, our first show was like a New York. We did a show in Brooklyn and like 300 people came out and we're like, this is great. Because the shows beforehand, we had to script, rehearse, get nervous, and we were in character still. So it was like making a little play. And in this version, it's like, oh, we can fill a whole hour instead of 15 minutes. It's basically all the pros of podcasting uh, versus writing and editing, shooting, directing to make a three-minute video versus just chatting with a friend that people enjoy just as much as the three-minute videos, but for 45 minutes. I feel like this is so common with a lot of people where the thing they pour so much of time into that then ends up resulting in like a reverse ratio of like what the thing is, where it is like a three minute video <laughs> you spend X amount of hours yeah. on versus an hour plus thing that you spend an hour plus on. Yeah. What does that do to you internally <laughs> feeling like that where it's like, well, you know, I made this thing over here. Yeah. And they're like, that's fine. But I mean, we kind of got a crash course in that working at College Humor because like half the videos on College Humor were freshmen getting hit in the head with a shovel for seven seconds that had like a million views. And then we would write original videos where... I would craft a music video and then we would shoot it for a week and then we would edit it and color correct it and post it online. And it's like, that's good, but it doesn't have as many views as guy getting hit in the head with a shovel. <laughs> so I was already jaded and or cynical and or aware of the fact that like reality TV, which is now happening everywhere, is killing scripted content because one, it's probably more entertaining for a lot of people and two, so much easier to produce and cheaper. I think for a lot of us who work in this industry, whatever industry you want to call it, podcasts, media, comedy, entertainment, there's a tension between the ease of unscripted content versus scripted. Sometimes the ease of production of unscripted means that your audience is trained to enjoy that version of you the most, the looser, more conversational you. And sometimes that can be really frustrating. It's almost like inviting a friend over for dinner and you made appetizers, but you're really more excited about the main course, about the turkey you spent so much time roasting or whatever, but they just keep eating the appetizers and they're not interested in the turkey. Amir talked to me about a situation like that, about making something more time consuming, like his series Lonely and Horny, a sitcom he made for Vimeo. It's not as like well-received primarily because it's so much harder to access and so much harder to watch. Like these are 10, 10 minute TV shows that we're making and it was behind a paywall. So 15 to 25,000 people watched all of Lonely and Horny season one because it was cost $10 on Vimeo. And then we put an episode on YouTube and it had like a million views. And we're like, this is great. Let's put it all on YouTube. And Vimeo's like, no, we paid for it. We want people to pay for it. So we understood the business model behind it. The podcast is always free. And then we try to make bonus stuff to monetize. So like Lonely and Horny falls into the bonus extra effort stuff that it costs money, so we need to charge for it. Like our Patreon, for example. We make bonus video episodes or Jake and Amir watch episodes. Those take a little bit more time and effort and editing and manpower, so we charge for them. The stuff that's easy to make, we give out for free. I look at people that are like, I'm just an actor. I'm like if I just relied on my acting and I like 
focused on auditions and never hearing back, I'd go crazy. I'll do a few auditions a year, but while that's going and it takes forever for them to figure it out or like pitch a TV show and wait six months to hear back, we've recorded 25 podcast episodes and shot like an entire season of Lonely and Horny. Yeah. So it feels like you made a lifeboat away from college humor in terms of owning your IP and your own show. Yeah. And the goal is to like make the lifeboat so big it becomes a new ship. That's what it feels like is like you've, you've continued to build the ship of not having to be beholden to X amount of gatekeepers in the business. Yeah. And that's one of the things we take pride in with HeadGum is that we haven't sold a chunk of our company or given it off to like corporate overlords. So it's, it's still just us making every decision for ourselves. Is that going to be a plan as Are you long looking as by? possible? I will, yes, exactly. I will sell this fucking, this is the Titanic <laughs> and I'm going down with this ship. I will sell it for scraps tomorrow. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back with more Inside Voices. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome back to Inside Voices. So in 2018, after doing If I Were You for five years, Amir launched his second podcast, Buckets, a comedy chat show all about the NBA, which I recently found out is short for National Basketball Association. Here's a clip from Amir's first episode of Buckets with his guest, Ben Schwartz. Do you have a format for the show or not yet? Not yet. I was just going to ask you questions. Mm-hmm. Travel through time. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking about the 90s. Who is your favorite player? Is it Kobe Doby? Uh, yeah. Kobe can you be a LeBron guy. head or is it illegal? Oh, easy. 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 I, I, can I he be switch. your favorite player of all time now? Oh, uh, Not of all time because he didn't Who's behind enough. Kobe? Shaq. Oh, love Shaq. Yeah, Shaq is the beast. And I've got to work with him, meet with him a couple times and he's lovely. <gasps> I would say Buckets is more of a labor of love than like a monetizable show. And I sort of knew that going in like... I tweet something about basketball and 98% of Jake and Amir fans don't necessarily get it. So it's not meant to be universally adored like If I Were You, because anybody can listen to If I Were You and find something they like about it. Buckets is sort of alienating a large percentage of the population. I just want to make something that if you do like basketball or if you do like me, then there's something to enjoy, to like really enjoy about it. What do you feel like you get out of Buckets so you don't get out of If I Were You? Probably uh, more creative control because it's literally just me and I have like a semi-permanent co-host in Billy who's also a basketball fan. But there are episodes that go by that's just me or just me and a buddy. And there's cold opens that I write and I edit and I control everything. So it's been a first foyer into like, let me try doing a podcast or really anything without Jake. Because it is like the difference between being two parents Raising a kid. Yeah. And mom and dad are different <laughs> and they have different roles, even though it's equally their kid. That's right. And then being a single parent <laughs> and having your own thing where it's like, well, 
I can dress you however I want to. That's right. I can make a basketball podcast and could be whatever I want. I can make you dance for me <laughs> like a sweet little fancy boy. <laughs> yeah, Buckets is sort of a sweet little fancy boy. In that That's way. how you think of it as your show. Yeah, I'll put it in a, a basketball in a little tutu <laughs> and send it to a ballet recital. Have you thought about other stuff that you might want to do for like a third show? Not really, no. The shows that we've come up with recently are like the HeadGum Originals. That The idea for this show, for example, is something I thought of, but I knew I wouldn't be as good of a host as, say, you. So I, I like the idea of Why being not? Why, why don't you think you'd be a, as good of a host at it? I'm not as naturally curious about the podcasting landscape as you are. You're like what I am to basketball feels like you are to podcasts. You have a natural enthusiasm and curiosity and knowledge about shows that I don't necessarily know about. In college, I had the decision to choose a major and like, was it going to be math? Was it going to be econ? Was it going to be business? And like, let me lean towards business because you don't have to take 15 math classes. You take like a few math classes, one accounting class, one econ. So like, it's a wide breadth, but without much depth. So and that's how you think of your... <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> your the only thing I have depth in is basketball and everything else I'd like to learn a little bit about. Do you still cut the show? Do you edit it? Uh, I do edit. Now it's mostly an assembly. There's not a lot of like things to cut out. Well, what, what were the things you had to cut out when you guys were first starting? Jokes that didn't land or like saying people's names by accident or like calling friends out that we didn't necessarily want to do. But again, that was like very rare. I would say 99% of the show is like as we recorded it, raw audio. I wonder if people could go, and I'm not encouraging anybody to, but I wonder if people could go back to all those years ago and make a super cut of stuff that you guys have said. That we wish we didn't. That you forget you canceled. <laughs> I want somebody to read all your tweets. Which ones were off color? But that's a real thing, right? Especially now that transcripts are going to be very easily searchable oh, yeah. and available for podcast stuff. I have hundreds of hours of archives of my voice saying stating the thing. opinions that not, I think. Yeah, not just something you could like easily delete. That's right. So you have to make peace with like the fact that I've been doing a particular show for almost seven years now. That's right. I've grown and evolved as a person, and hopefully there is enough of a trust built in with the audience in that relationship that allows me the latitude to evolve in that way. Yeah, or like I can always just rely on, uh, oh, I was just joking. I was just joking. I was kidding. I didn't I'm really actually joking. think that. Yeah, and nothing I said was so offensive that like it would actually get me in trouble, hopefully. What do you do when you are confronted or like not even like you're canceled but like hey that really hurt my feelings or yeah. something like that we get some really thoughtful ones where it's like you were talking about this issue that you didn't necessarily know a lot about like bisexuality and trans uh issues where i'm like okay i understand that and i didn't mean it that way but i apologize and i'm learning and i'm going forward and then we have just you know random trolls just like sending us DMs or tweets that are meant to piss us off and I don't really respond to those. Those are easy to dismiss. Yeah. <laughs> but the stuff where it is thoughtful and it is coming from a place of, of a person's humanity. Exactly. Does that ever affect you deeply? You know what I mean? Because I feel like when that's happened to me in the past, it's always just been like, I'm so, it's, it's the worst when it's like, hey, I love you guys, love the show. Also, when you said this one thing, it actually didn't mean it that. it bummed blah, blah, me blah. out. I'm like, oh God, I'm so sorry. I'll, learn from that and the people that write us in long thoughtful emails like any response that they get they seem to be like oh my god thank you so much like they just they appreciate being heard do people think they know you from the show yes and they're kind of right i mean i'm 
very much so myself. I'm not like in character or anything like that. I'm trying to be funny, but at the same time, it's still like all the stuff that I would joke about with my friends. Like what percentage of, of you do you think they know? 70%. Okay. Yeah. That seems healthy. Yeah. That's actually more than I would think. Yeah, I'm know? not like Howard Stern, like talking about my personal issues on air. Yeah, or something like <laughs> your wife or man yeah, or whatever. Yeah, exactly. But it feels like you guys were already such a well-oiled machine and partnership. It wasn't like you were getting to know each other. We definitely had a rapport already in terms of like being vulnerable on microphone. I'm not even like vulnerable with my friends, so I'm definitely not very vulnerable on mic. I'm like, can I just tell you something I really need to get off my chest? Like, I'm scared, man. We don't like talk like that on the show at all. You're not vulnerable with your friends? No. Well, I mean, sometimes I am, but there are fears and certain things that I sweep under the rug and avoid, ignore. Let's talk about those. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, God, dying alone for one. Um, well, it's interesting, though, because you, you're operating in a space where that is so much a coin of the realm, right? Like where vulnerability is such a commodity and it's how people market themselves. And I mean, I was just talking about me, but like tons of comedians do it. Not even like Mark Maron's like the king of that, right? Yeah, he just like pours his heart out and his soul out. And I'm like, I'm not even like this serious with literally like my friends. And he's just like talking about how much certain things affect him and how much he weighs on him. And how I also don't struggle as much as Mark Maron does. So like, I'm not like repressing depression and anxiety. So there's that, but you know, there are certain concerns or issues that I deal with or struggle with that I don't necessarily unload, especially on microphone. Well, yeah, I don't get the impression from you on or off mic that there is a lack in your life that you're trying to make up for with something else. A lack of what? Affection or attention or healthy relationships or boundaries that then you transmute into whatever you're doing on mic or on one of your shows. Like you don't make buckets a show that's actually about your dad or <laughs> right, something like yeah. that. My dad hates basketball. <laughs> Does he really? Let's talk about it. No, he doesn't hate it. He's just not a huge sports guy. He's apathetic. Yeah. He's like, I'll watch a game with you, but I don't necessarily, I'm not going home and checking to see who won or lost. Do you feel like your relationship with the audience has changed in six years? Uh, no. I mean, the audience is growing with us. So that's been interesting to see. Like, I remember when we were first doing our shows, the the crowds were like 14 to 20 year olds. And now they're like 30 year olds. They're like, oh, we have been watching you since high school. But our relationship with that audience has sort of stayed the same because we're always like, you know, four to eight years older than them. So we're growing together, I guess. We've had some weirdos. You've had some weirdos. Yeah. And everyone has probably in the course of six years. How how does that affect you? Like people who feel like they know you so much and you have no idea who they are. Yeah, you sort of get used to that. That's like one of the main things about podcasting is that the audience really, really knows who you are and they're a stranger to you. It's not like even in like old movie star days, people didn't really know who these guys were. So like, like in what example? I guess Howard Stern, people like radio stuff, people know, uh, people that do like four-hour radio shows every day. But in TV and movies, like, you can obsess over Brad Pitt, but you don't really know who he is. You get glimpses of it in magazines and stuff. But like, I would say somebody who's listened to 400 episodes of If I Were You knows me better than like a Brad Pitt fan knows Brad Pitt. Yeah, or like an acquaintance of yours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is the thing. Someone that you would know in real life. Yeah. But you seem like so okay with it. You're so comfy with it. Yeah, because I have no like demons or anything to hide. So I'm like, yeah, you can know that I like math. It can be strange when people feel some personal claim or entitlement to you, even on a knowledge level, not even like they're sliding in and asking for favors or something. <laughs> right, which they do too. Right, but but just even the idea 
that people feel some sort of like ownership over the relationship. I know for some people, and I'm friends with some of those people, that it can be really threatening to their sense of self or identity. Yeah, see, I don't have a sense of self and I don't have an identity. Sure you do. And this stuff means nothing to me. (laughs) (laughs) Come one, come all. It feels like it's so well-developed or mature or cold and distant, one of the three, that it feels fine by whatever that audience relationship would do to it, you know? Yeah, and if people ask me, like, isn't it weird that people know who you are? I'm like, no, I guess not. I don't know. For me, it just feels normal because it is to me. So on a personal or professional level, what do you think it is that you want out of your shows? Buckets is its own thing because I just love talking about basketball. It doesn't feel like work. And if I can talk about basketball for an hour or a week on mic and have an audience that way, it just feels very cathartic. And it's something that I love doing anyway. With If I Were You, I guess I want to keep it going and evolving in a way that constantly feels fresh and hopefully retain an audience or maybe even build an audience that doesn't even know about the Jake and Amir um, part of our lives. It sounds like in the sense of the traditional craftsman v. artist dichotomy that you would look at yourself as a craftsman. Is that right? That's true. Like I don't consider myself a writer or an actor or a this or that. I'm more of like a comedian slash entrepreneur. I always had like a little bit of an entrepreneurial spirit. Even in high school, I was like trying to like make little websites that went viral or bought domain names and tried to sell them. Like what'd little... you try to what what was an example of that? <laughs> I, remember, I remember searching for a domain name about banking. I was like 15 years old. I'm like, if I just buy a domain about banking, banks have a lot of money. And then what was buy the domain name? Do you remember it? Yes. Finebanking.com. <laughs> Not even great banking or good banking, but finebanking.com. Specifically, I remember buying it and trying to sell it to like Wells Fargo. Well, it's still up for bo- uh, for being bought. <laughs> oh shit! I can buy back fine banking. You realize how much more it's worth now than it was in 1998. A funny uh, postscript to that whole part of my life is that I finally sold a domain name like last year for the first time in my life. One that I bought like 10 or 15 years before that. It was notify.com with a D. So notify, like to create nodes. And nodes. I, yeah. What are like, nodes? Whatever the fuck you want it to be, man. <laughs> Look it up. It's like some medical supply company, tech medical company bought it. Designed to help identify <laughs> benign lung nodules with a simple blood-based test. There we go. Nodules. Oh, my gosh. And I was just, you know, fucking around online. I remember when domain names used to cost $70 for two years, and I would have to, like, ask my parents for their credit card to buy them. So little stuff like that still exists within me. Well, not a little. It's like a lot of of what you're doing. It's not just a little bit. It seems to be driving so much of it. That's right. At first, it was like kind of a side hobby to college humor and TV opportunities. And now me, Jake, and Marty are here every day. Has that transition been okay? Because sometimes when it's like if something doesn't work out in a particular field, it can feel like a disappointment or a failure or bittersweet. Yeah. But it sounds like you're actually boomeranging to stuff that you were most <laughs> interested in to begin with. Yeah. If you were like buying domain names and stuff when you were a kid. Yeah. And it's funny because I majored in business kind of like accidentally just out of like laziness because I didn't want to learn too much about anything. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I do know about this theory from accounting that I have to use now in practice. I am running a business in a way. So I'm falling back on my degree, which was the goal if I failed out of comedy life, but I'm still creating comedy. So 
kind of best of both worlds trying to do both at the same time. Yeah, but it seems pretty functional. It's not like there's something you're burning. It's not like you need to like release your hour long special and you got something just you have to <laughs> yeah, get it out I'm of you. I'm not tortured. And, yeah. Yeah. Like, but in a, in a way where it probably frees you up to make good decisions and still understand what it's like on the ground level for a lot of the people and people that were your peers at other jobs and with other projects where you can understand them and relate to them in a heart to heart sort of way but still keep business-minded decisions at the forefront in the sense of like doing what's best for them yeah. and what's best for your company. That's the goal. It sounds like mission freaking accomplished, bro. <laughs> I quit. I'm out. <laughs> this is the last thing I'll ever record. Hey, hey, I like your voice. <laughs> and that's how we end it. I love is that. Is that a good A ending? weird threat. <laughs> Inside Voices is produced by Steve Allman. And our theme music is by Pam Arturi. Next week on the show, you will hear this voice. I think the only real insecurity that's still here is when I was younger, my dad told me once that people wouldn't listen to you if you said the words like or um as much as I did. I've been your host, Kevin T. Porter, and thanks for spending time with us today on Inside Voices. That was a HeadGum Podcast.